Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Good morning, everybody. Let me say it this way. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, can I tell you, I am so thankful for you. It is an honor uh, to be your pastor. It is uh, just a gift, a joy to serve here with you. It's a privilege to lead. It is a gift to be a part of a church that is so loving, so faithful, so generous. Uh, Be a part of a church that loves to worship God wholeheartedly. Uh, It's just an amazing gift. I I thank you so much for uh, those honors, those privileges. I was leaving for church yesterday, said to the kids, I'm headed to work, headed to church. Landry says, you sure do love church, don't you? And yes, I do, yes. And because it's uh, Thanksgiving, uh, we don't want to just say we're thankful. We don't want to just talk about thankfulness and gratitude. Uh, We want to actually demonstrate it. We want to actually express it. In fact, just reading through scripture, whenever thanksgiving or gratitude comes up, you see four different ways that you can demonstrate and actually express uh, your gratitude and your thanksgiving. And so we express our thankfulness uh, through singing. You see that time and time again, through praying, through giving, and remembering. And we're going to do all four as examples or expressions of our gratitude this weekend. Uh, I just kind of want to walk through them real quick. Uh, Singing, Psalm 95, look at it on the screen with me, says, Come let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. And when we sing together, we are united in thought. We are united in word. In fact, when we're singing together in here today, we're, we're even breathing in the same united rhythm. It's powerful. We're proclaiming the truth of God's word together. Uh, you see in scripture time and time again, you can demonstrate your thanksgiving to God through praying, by thanking God for what we have, what he's given us, for what we need. And so we're going to pray together this weekend, but even the songs that we're singing are prayers to God. So I hope you'll join us in them. I invite you to sing those with us today. The Bible tells us we uh, express or demonstrate our thanksgiving. You see this time and time again through giving, through giving an offering. And we don't do a whole lot of special offerings around here, but the celebration offering is one that we bring near the end of the year uh, to celebrate what God has done in our lives this year, that he carried us through another year. Amen. We're still standing I mean, I'll tell you, and not to make this about me, but I, I'll just tell you, and maybe you can relate, that there are a few times this year I thought I was getting wiped out, and um, <laughs> still standing, right? I mean, I'm still here, and you're here today. If you came up and you're here today, like, man, you made it. God carried you through another year, and we ought to thank him for it. We ought to praise him for it, because if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for him and for what he's sustained in me. And uh, so I I bring an offering of praise. And I've told you before, for Lauren and I, uh, this celebration offering as well, it's 
Um, we make it our Christmas present to God. So we've, we've got our list. Anyone got the note that you've shared with the spouse? You're going through the, thanks, or the Christmas and, and figuring out what to get family and everything else. And we just put God, our Savior, our Creator on there and include Him in it and, and give Him an offering of praise. And um, as far as what we'll do with the offering, uh, we're going to use it uh, kind of in three different categories or ways. Locally, uh, we use it to enhance and grow what we're doing at Rockbrook. Uh, it also uh, gives us uh, the ability to give some extra support to the organizations we support and have a relationship with. Nationally, we like to give to churches and church planters. Our nation needs more life-giving churches that are making a difference. Uh, we've also been able to get, help get some churches like off the ground because of things like the celebration offering. And then internationally, uh, if you've been around Rockbrook any length of time, you know that in terms of international focus and missions, uh, we've put a lot of our focus on this region of North India and Nepal uh, because that's where almost all of the last unengaged and unreached people groups are in the world. And so we've just decided to put a lot of our focus and emphasis um, on seeing uh, the gospel go where it's never been, see churches be built and go, uh, a family of, of believers be where there's never been one before. And we've just wanted to focus on um, doing whatever we can um, to help uh, the Great Commission, that task be finished. And so uh, a lot of uh, what you give goes to uh, supporting and helping uh, these churches and these pastors and those those ministries there. You know, Rockbrook, when it comes to giving, I'll just tell you, Rockbrook is unique in that we don't have any outside people or any outside organizations that give to this church. Uh, it is, Rockbrook is sustained by the goodness of God through, through the people that you see at church. And because you are faithful and because you're generous, we're actually the inverse of that, that there are other organizations, missionaries, things happening um, that are sustained by because we get to support and help them. So thank you so much for what you do there and making that possible. That's absolutely incredible. So starting out to the end of the year, you can give to the celebration offering. Just designate your gift. Uh, however you give on an envelope or online or whatever, uh, the celebration offering. How do we demonstrate gratitude? How does the Bible say we do that? Through singing, through praying, through giving. And this is another theme you see, you see time and time again when gratitude is brought up, it talks about remembering. Remembering something. Remembering what? Well, no matter what you've gone through, you can always be thankful uh, for something. How do you be thankful, though, even though when you've gotten bad news? No matter how devastating the news, no matter how bad the situation, I believe that one of the things you can always be thankful for is God's grace. What is grace? Grace is that God gives me what I need, not what I deserve. Grace is everything God wants to do in your life. Not because of who you are, not because of what you're up to, but because of what Jesus did for you. Grace is God's free gift. Ephesians 2.8, let's read this out loud together. It says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. I can't earn my salvation. I can't work for my salvation. I can't deserve my salvation. 
I can't be religious enough to earn my salvation. I can't bargain with God. I can't pay God off. I can't bribe God. It's just simply called grace. And because it's a gift of grace, not dependent on me, I can always be thankful that God gives it to me. Because it's not dependent on what I've got going on. It's dependent on what he's got going on. God forgives me, not because I deserve it, but because of his grace. God loves me, not because I deserve it, but because of his grace. God blesses me, uses me, protects me, takes me to heaven. Not because I deserve it, not because you deserve it, but because of his grace. It's an incontrovertible truth and a gift of God. This Tuesday, we're doing a funeral for a man in our church uh, who died from cancer last week, had cancer on his liver, pancreas, and uh, many of you know uh, Joseph. Uh, I love this picture of him. Uh, I just felt led to share with you this weekend his favorite Bible passage and some of what I'm going to share on Tuesday at his service. Uh, the first time Joseph came to church here, when he was leaving, as he was walking out the doors, he had a health episode, a heart episode, and uh, two uh, dream team, two teenage greeters uh, were the first to meet him and help him, and uh, one got the safety team, medical team, they came over and started helping him, ministering to him, and uh, they called an ambulance, and had kind of gotten to a point where they'd done everything they could do for him right then, and uh, someone on the medical team started praying for him. And uh, then Joseph got on the ambulance and left, and when he got to the hospital, he asked for a pen and paper, and he wrote down as much of the prayer that he could remember because it ministered to him so deeply and uh, still had that piece of paper. And when I last saw him, met with him and Pastor Will a few weeks ago, and I was reading scripture. We were in First Peter as church, so I read First Peter chapter 1. That's a great thing to read with someone who's struggling. Read Romans 8. He had a hospice coming in, and um, that's a great, it's a great place to go if you're with someone in that situation and you're wondering where to go in the Bible, what to read with them. Romans 8 is powerful. And then uh, we asked him if there was anything he wanted us to read, and he said, John, John chapter 8 and uh, this, is, this is what it says. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Uh, Man, when I felt led to, to bring this this week, I thought this is the strangest Thanksgiving message um, that I've done or placed in Scripture uh, to go for Thanksgiving sermon. Uh, this woman was caught in the worst of circumstances. She's in front of the temple now, place of worship. She's brought by the Pharisees who, and these other religious leaders who teach the law. And she's standing before Jesus in front of this crowd. We're going to see how Jesus just completely transforms her life through the truth of grace. And we'll see how Jesus can impact our lives. Verse 4 says, Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? They were trying to trap him 
into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now we see this woman who's caught in the act. Uh, They say we have to stone her. Do you see a problem here? They bring the woman. What about the man? In fact, the verse that they're referencing in Deuteronomy says, if a man is caught sleeping with another man's wife, both the man and the woman must die. That's how serious it was, how harsh the law was in its judgment of this. Uh, In Deuteronomy, it's going to go on to say that uh, it's purging Israel of such evil, is what it says. So they're, they're breaking the law themselves by only bringing the woman. And the Pharisees did not care about the sin. They did not care about the law. Uh, They only did this because they're trying to put Jesus between a rock and a hard place. The rock was the Jewish law that commanded those caught in this situation face the death penalty. And then the hard place is that the Roman government had reserved to itself uh, the, the final right to inflict capital punishment. So they think they've got Jesus trapped here because if he says, yes, they should be killed, then he's going against the Roman government, and they can use his words against the Roman government. But if he says, no, they shouldn't be killed, then they've got him trapped against um, the, the Jewish people and the Jewish law because he's going against them. So they think they have him stuck. They don't care about this woman one bit. How did Jesus deal with it? He bent down and wrote in the sand. Uh, what did he write? There's no answer in in the Bible for what he wrote. A lot of speculation. Uh, People say, well, he's just kind of like buying himself time uh, to think through what to do. Or uh, him doing this makes them have to kind of repeat the accusation. Uh, A lot of people say uh, he started writing the sins of, of the accusers, of the people that are saying this. Maybe even pointing an arrow in the dust at different ones of them. And as I studied this passage, I found people get, like when they come to this, they get really hung up on on Jesus writing in the dust. It almost becomes like the the main emphasis of the thing. Uh, But I got to tell you, I've learned that if the Bible doesn't talk a lot about something, it's because that's not the thing that ultimately matters. In fact, that's just a good life principle. If the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about it, maybe it shouldn't consume the majority of my thinking and my time and and, and what I'm doing. And so let's just go on and see what Jesus does here and what we do see that happens. It says they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but the, what the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Uh, The accusers didn't care about this woman. Jesus cared about the woman. Everything he's doing is to communicate to her. He's communicating to her, to all of us, about the sin in our lives. And I just wonder, well, what do I need to know? What do I need to do to enjoy God's grace? And, and I believe we see, while we don't know exactly what he wrote in the dust and why he did that, we do clearly see Jesus communicating some things 
uh, here in this place. And I believe the first thing we see communicated is, number one, that you are not alone. Like when he said, you who has never sinned, throw the first stone, and then no one could. We've, why? Because we've all sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also says that the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. So to act as if I'm not tempted, to act as if I, am, if I don't sin, well, that's a sin in and of itself. And you are not alone when you're tempted to sin or when you choose to sin. And the Bible tells us we need to realize that we all need the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's not where this stops. In verse 10, we get two more truths about grace. It says, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, and this is where, when I read this with Joseph, Joseph started laughing. And I stopped and looked up at him and he goes, I love this part. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. You are not alone. And then Jesus communicates to her, number two, you are not condemned. When Jesus invites uh, the first without sin to throw the stone, Jesus was actually the only one in the crowd without sin. He was the only one with the right to pick up a stone. And when the crowd could not pick up a stone, they're saying, you're not alone. We've all sinned. Like they could look at this woman and be like, this is why we're all here. And when Jesus would not throw the stone at her, he's saying, you are not condemned. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, think about this. The, the one who spoke the stars into being, who spoke the world into existence, the one who created her looked at her in the eye and said, neither do I condemn you. Hear Jesus say that to you today, that you are not alone. And he looks at you and says, you are not condemned. He did not come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to save the world. Jesus did not come into your life to condemn your life. He came into your life to save it. Then Jesus has a third truth to teach. And that is number three. Uh, you are responsible. Go and sin no more. You are responsible. Like he's saying, you can do that. It's an option. Why? That's the power of grace. Jesus does not provide a way to get away with sin. He does provide a way to go away from our sin. And we're responsible to do that. We're responsible from a Jesus who does not condemn us to face our sin, confess our sin, and leave our sin. To face our sin, confess our sin, and leave our sin. And without the power of grace, you can't do that. With that before you come to Jesus, you can't, you can't do it. There's things I've conquered in my life, not because I conquered them before I came to Jesus, but because I've come to Him, because of the power of His grace in my life. And we're responsible from a Jesus who does not condemn us. To face our sin, confess our sin, to leave our sin. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And what does grace say to you today? Why can you be thankful no matter what this Thanksgiving? Because you are not alone. You are not condemned. And you are responsible. Would you pray with me, please?
Jesus Christ, we just recognize again this thanksgiving that because of the cross of Christ, our sin can be forgiven. Our sin is forgiven as we trust in you for forgiveness. And if you've never trusted him, trust him now. If you have uh, trusted him before, trust him now that you've been forgiven. God, thank you that we all together can come to you as sinners in need of grace. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that we are not condemned. Help us to leave our life of sin, to, to find the power to live in new ways, to find in you the power to live a life of grace. God, we come before you today and we face it. We face how far we've fallen. We face where we are. We face our sin. We confess our sin. We worship you. We come to you. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, we move on in gratitude, in thanksgiving, in focus for what you have for our life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we wanted to show you a testimony today from someone in our church family. Nelson Labby has had an incredible journey over the last couple of years. And uh, so we asked him to come in. We just put him up in front of a wall and asked him to share his story with the church family this weekend so that this Thanksgiving we could celebrate uh, with them as a church body what God is doing in their family. Let's watch this together. My name is Nelson Labby. I'm an armed brat. I grew up all over the place. I was born in Montreal, Canada, and lived there until I was five years old. My father was in the United States Army, so I lived in a lot of places. Florida, Arizona, Texas, Germany, Louisiana, back to Texas, and then back to Germany, where I was fortunate enough to graduate from high school over there. Then we moved to Fort Leavenworth, where I attended Kansas City, Kansas Community College, where I received my associate's degree. While I was living in Fort Leavenworth area, I met my wife-to-be, Angel, who is from Belton, Missouri, and I moved to St. Louis after that until I went into the United States Air Force in 1997. After tech school, I was stationed at Dover Air Force Base for the remainder of my time in the U.S. Air Force. Angel and I were married in June of 1998, on my break from tech school, to arriving to my duty station. Angel and I have two kids, John and Caitlin. In 2002, after my time in the Air Force was over, I got my job in law enforcement and I started my law enforcement career. Working in New York City until 2005 when we moved back to Belton. I was raised in the Catholic Church and confirmed as a teenager in Germany. But church was not really a priority in my life. I didn't see much benefit in organized religion. When we moved to Belton, my son John attended Rockbrook with a friend from Scouts. He said, Dad, gotta go visit this church. So in May of 2014, we visited Rockbrook and things really clicked here. My kids both chose to get baptized. Angel and I got plugged into a great small group. I had always believed in God, but it was through Rockbrook sermons and my small group discussions that Jesus Christ became very real to me. Worship and Bible study became a vital part of my life. Through the discussions with my small group, guys who came from a similar background as I, I made a decision in March of 2016 to be baptized as a statement of my faith in Jesus Christ. I went through growth track, and those lessons confirmed my shape for ministry, as I was made to be a scout leader, a coach, and a member of the Rockbrook safety team. 
As an army brat, I moved a lot. Made a lot of friends in a lot of different places. I learned the value of friendship and family connections, and I wanted that for my kids more than anything. Getting connected to a church family, being in a small group, attending Rockbrook, and being involved in scouting were an important focus for us. Having a spiritual dimension to my life has been a great help at work. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Serving in the military and law enforcement, I have dedicated myself to laying down my life for others. Every day when I go to work, I live with the reality that whether I come home or God takes me home, that decision is up to God, and I'm willing to leave it in His hands. In 2016, I went in for a routine work physical. They discovered that my blood counts were low. They continued to do blood work every six months and monitor my situation. Then in April of 2019, my platelet level tanked. They did bone marrow tests, but it was inconclusive. After a couple more tests, I was referred to KU Medical Center and was assigned to see Dr. McGurk and his team. He did bone marrow tests, DNA tests, and a lot of blood work and determined that I had leukemia and I had about a 20% chance of survival. Through his team, we decided that a bone marrow transplant was going to be the proper path of treatment. November 21st of 2019, I was admitted to the hospital and started my chemotherapy. And I was in the hospital until New Year's Day of 2020. After I got home, I developed an infection and went back into the hospital for four weeks. After another bone marrow test was done, it was determined that I needed a third round of chemotherapy to hopefully get me ready for a bone marrow transplant. My son John decided that he would get tested to see if he was a donor match. John was a donor match, thank God. Dr. McGurk decided to use John as my donor and not delay my transplant. Seven days before my bone marrow transplant, I went to the hospital for more chemotherapy to kill all my remaining bone marrow in my body. The leukemia generating bone marrow had to be destroyed. At this point, COVID protocols were in place at the hospital. On March 13th of 2020, John came to the hospital for five hours. They worked at extracting his healthy bone marrow stem cells. With my diseased bone marrow killed off, John's healthy bone marrow could be infused into my body. The stem cells would make their way to my bones and begin production of healthy blood cells and bone marrow. This transfusion changed my blood type from O positive, which was what I was born with, to O negative, which is what John's blood type is. The day of the transplant, I was able to see John and Angel. The rest of the time, I was spent in isolation, except for the great medical staff. But the transplant worked. In September of 2020, I was determined to be non-immunocompromised, and I am in remission with 100% donor cells and no sign of cancer. 
During this difficult ordeal, I found great comfort from Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I made the conscious decision to dwell on the good things in life, to dwell on the blessings God gave me. God is in control of my life, and I'm all in. I don't want to focus on the bad things. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against us. The knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This was a very humbling experience for me. I couldn't trust in myself. I had to place myself in God's care. He cared for me in amazing ways through other people. Friends from my past reached out to me. My co-workers donated their vacation time to keep me in my job while I was in the hospital and when I was recovering. My church friends, my small group, guys helped around the house. I had to tell one buddy who offered to help, there's nothing left for you to do. I thank God for my friends and for my family, for my church family, and for my life. It is in His hands. pray with me, please. God, you are in control. You are in control of our lives. We put our trust in you. Uh, we thank you for Nelson and his life, his testimony. God, we thank you for Joseph, his life, his testimony. Uh, that God, in death and life, uh, we can be confident in your great love. And we thank you that by your grace, uh, we're still standing. And Lord, we're putting our trust in you. Father, we praise you today with our hearts and songs. We praise you for your faithfulness. Uh, we praise you for your great power and love. We confess our need for you. Uh, our lives do not go well when we just spin around on our own. We struggle, worry, we get weary on our own, and we get worn. Uh, yet you never leave us. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your care over us. Thank you that you breathe renewal right into our souls. We ask for your spirit to fill us, to draw us close to you, and to work your purpose through us as we set our eyes on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and the church said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.